You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I am your host, Rob O'Sell. I'm an architect at this.labs. Today, we are extremely excited to discuss the exciting state of Node.js, uh, all of the development in that ecosystem, and the building of it as well. We'll be discussing that with James Snell. James is a system engineer at Cloudflare and a member of the Node Technical Steering Committee. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me over. Yes, we are extremely excited to have this conversation, as I said. But before we bust into that conversation first, let's take a moment to acknowledge today's sponsor, and that is Harmon. The Harmon Ignite Store Developers Portal is a developer hub dedicated to the Android automotive developer community. The portal provides developers the toolkits and APIs they need to create apps that influence the future of the in-vehicle experience. Check them out via HTTPS, ignitedevelopers.harmon.com. All right. So James, I'm super excited to have you on uh, the podcast. People that might look at some of the other things that we do may have seen you around. And it's just because you are so good and passionate uh, about explaining all things about Node. And so we love having you on to get people excited about Node. But before we dig too deeply into Node itself, you know, one of the things that I said in the introduction is that you are a systems engineer at Cloudflare and a member of the Node Technical Steering Committee, which to me sounds like probably three and a half full-time jobs. So <laughs> I know you have a life and a family and an amazing dog outside of all this. Like, how are you you is the first question. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, definitely a lot of fun. I mean, I'm working on uh, Node and Cloudflare workers, you know, so two different run times on this that would definitely keep me busy. And I don't just have one dog. We have five. Or the, the way I should put it, my wife has four and I have one, um, um, you know, but uh, yeah, we're it, it's definitely a full house around here. Um yeah, yeah, the balance is, uh, uh, you know, can be fun. I, I, I decided a couple, couple, just a couple of years ago that I wasn't going to work on weekends anymore because, you know, just to maintain that balance and try to keep some, <laughs> some sense of being grounded. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 great. And I mean, it's it's got to be nice too. Again, to have to be able to bring those different perspectives from each of those, okay. like you said, two different run times. I mean, you're you're tackling problems from a couple different angles. You're uh, seeing both the positives and the negatives, I'm sure, of some of the decisions uh, that you're making in each. So, oh yeah, yeah, that that's that definitely for sure. I mean, you know, you know, having my head in, you know, in code. I mean, they're both V8. They're both based on V8. They're both, you know, you know, primarily, um, you know, C implemented in C plus plus and some JavaScript. But the way that those two runtimes tackle um, the, the these similar problems is very very different from one another. So it it, it definitely opens up that perspective a lot. Now, you know, normally I don't like to start quite so meta on these topics that we talk about with people, but, you know, it really occurred to me as I was sitting down to prepare for this, that there are a lot of different opinions about what Node is uh, mm -hmm. and, and what it can be. I think some people have only ever experienced Node in the context of an express web server. And so for a lot of people, Node is just synonymous with an API or, or, or a web server or something along those lines. Or maybe they've only dealt with Lambda workers or something similar. And they're used to thinking of it as uh, how they do serverless or, or you know whatever it is that they set it up. 
Still others, you know, for me, a lot of times that I use Node, I use it as a scripting platform. I, I use it to get things done because I'm more efficient sometimes in JavaScript than I am with shell scripting or, you know, using yeah. terminal scripts or something along those lines. I think some people get confused of whether, you know, Node is JavaScript itself, uh, you know, yeah. uh, writ large. How, how should people see Node nowadays? Like, I'm sure it's adapted a little bit from when, you know, Node first came out, but like, how should people understand what Node is and what it means kind of to the ecosystem at large? That's a good question. Um, yeah, it, it definitely has evolved. And I think the, the, I think Node has gotten to the point where it's just it's just there. It's everywhere. I mean, um, you know, it, it's difficult to think about it just doing one thing. Um, uh, if you're doing web development in any sense, really on any platform, you're going to have Node in your tool chain somewhere, right? Um, um, even if it's just something you install, so you can run some other tool and, and you never actually even use it. Um, so I think the, the best way to think about it is just it's part of the infrastructure, like like an operating system or, you know, um, you know, the standard live, right? It's just part of one of the, the part of that platform that you use to do things on the web. Um, and it doesn't fit just into any single niche, right? I mean, we have Node running on Raspberry Pis and IoT environments. We have Node running, you know, locally on, on, on desktop stuff. We, you know, yes, it, it powers Lambda and, you know, large parts of, you know, Netflix and, you know, online shopping and all that kind of stuff. It's just everywhere. I mean, they're even using Node to help design spacesuits. So it's, 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 it's literally everywhere, right? So I don't think it, you can really classify it in 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 any sense of this is what node is it's everything right i agree well you know and, I, and you gave a a talk um from last year i'm sure you've given this talk in many different contexts that making the claim that you know node is kind of a part of the web platform not necessarily yeah. apart from it you know a lot of people kind of for a long time saw the web or web browsers and node as two different halves of a same coin but right. as you've mentioned before as well that that now we have edge workers uh, and we have Dino, we have all sorts of other runtimes of JavaScript popping up. And it's sort of starting to be like, it's not, web browsers weren't even the primitive. It's like JavaScript and then all these reflections or these uh, places where JavaScript is then executed. Uh, and exactly. so it's sort of went away from being this node as a facsimile of the web to kind of being everything is just sort of a manifestation of JavaScript in a different context. Is that kind of the right way to think about it? Yeah, I think that's that's exactly the right way to think about it. Um, uh, you know, browsers, they're great, wonderful thing, but they, they really drive their, their value from being that, that development platform. You know, that, that JavaScript is the primitive. Um, the APIs are the primitive, um, not the actual implementation or where they're implemented or even where you deploy the dang thing. Right. Um, it's just if it can run JavaScript, um, if it has these, you know, what we call web APIs, then it's part of the web. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, let's move forward, I guess, and just talk a little bit about some of the recent developments. Uh, mm -hmm. I know that we just, or it was just announced about Node 18 uh, is, is is coming down the pipe. I don't know the exact uh, release date or if it is officially it's released. released. Yeah, yeah, it's officially okay. released. Uh, so it is officially released, and it has some interesting features, which we'll certainly talk about in uh, specific in a couple cases. But I mean, what what of this? I mean, it's like picking your favorite child. I understand this, but like, what uh, what excites you, or what should people be excited about about the new version coming down that they might have been waiting for? Um, 
in note 18 i'd have to for me personally the, the there, there's two features that are the most exciting um one is the the integrated test runner that's being worked on um uh, so I mean, there, there's now a module built in you know where you can declare and run tests uh, it's still experimental, it's still, and it still has a lot of growth uh, to go before it, it's as sophisticated or usable as some of the existing ecosystem um, test runners. But just the fact that it's built in, this is one thing that, like, like what Dino got right right out the gate, you know, building these tools directly into the platform. Um, notice is is like, okay, you know, yeah, you know, we, we need to do that as well. So I mean, just having that that there is amazing. Uh, Colin Ear, uh did, you know, uh, one of the other Node Core contributors did the, uh, the, the work on that, and it's just been absolutely fantastic work. Uh, and then the other new feature is that we finally have an implementation of Fetch, um, which is many, many years coming. Um, um, it was a hard-fought battle. We, you know, it, it's there. I wouldn't even say that Fetch is necessarily even the best API for doing you know, HP client stuff um it, it's actually fairly limited uh, in terms of kind of the um uh the kind of the flexibility of the api or, or you know kind of how much you can do with it but just having it there where we can do a fetch consistently on the browser and we can do you know same api in node now and and workers and dino it's it's the same api so it just that consistency i i don't think we can overstate how important it is you know, Fetch was especially interesting, you know, because uh, it's one of these examples where the sort of popular solution in user land uh, was maybe not compliant or fully compliant with uh, the spec or the official spec. So, you know, as a platform, it's sort of interesting to decide well, what becomes the standard. Is it the one that a lot of people are familiar with and use, or is it the the one that's appropriate to the spec? How how did you all sort of navigate that morass? Yeah, I mean, um, that one's very difficult. We're having the exact same issue there, not with not only with Fetch, but with um, uh, ESM modules. Um, Node Node has made the decision consistently, and this is, this is going back many years that. It's going to follow the spec um, before it follows kind of just you know whatever is popular in user land. Um, the spec gives us something that we can be, be grounded to. It's 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 a um, um, it's kind of just a source of truth that that we can kind of go back to and say nope if if someone's going to implement this in a consistent interoperable way and we want to be sure that it's going to work that code is going to work here and in the browser and in, anywhere else. Then we're going to write to the spec, and that's what we're going to stick to. Um, but user land is user, user land. I mean, they're going to go out. You know, folks are going to go off and do do stuff, right? Um, and the longer it takes Node and the other platforms to adopt something that user land thinks is is uh, is useful, the more then you know folks are just going to go off and write something, whether it, it, it you know it, whether it conforms to the spec or not. And we just have to deal with that, right? It's just something we just have to accept. <clears throat> Well, and it, honestly, it's something that developers should appreciate, even if it's mildly annoying to uh, adapt some code that maybe was using a different standard or, or you know, a different uh, library. I think that consistency pays back. I mean, not that this particular fix will solve a problem, but I worked on a project where we were, we were deploying a website alongside like a Cordova wrapped mobile app alongside an Electron native or excuse me, Electron de desktop app. 
and you know everything sounds wonderful and glorious and amazing about you know write once run it all over the place but you do run into all these sort of edges of those oh, yeah. different implementations and it's almost inevitable you're going to land at if this platform you know do this <laughs> if this <laughs> other platform do this so minimizing that will reduce headaches for you know developers all over the place oh yeah absolutely um you know the reality is that on the web you're not just dealing with one platform you're dealing with many you know whether it's you know on on the client side at the edge or on the server right i mean you could be hitting you know four or five different javascript runtimes and you know it's just going to add friction to your team if fetch works differently on every single one of those right um if you know if, if how you actually do a HP request and how hand, you know, headers are handled and, you know, you know, whether there is uh, uh, you know, cookie support in one and not another, it's just, it just becomes uh, friction. That's just going to add cost to development. So the more we can eliminate that, the better, right. For everybody at the same time, um, you know, yeah, it took node forever to uh, adopt fetch um, and it's a useful API. Uh, so it's understandable that folks in userland said, you know, heck with it, we're going to write our own. Um, and, you know, we, we can't, you know, from node, we can't, you know, approach it and say, well, too bad, you know, here's the one that works and we're not going to support the other one anymore. Right. Um, we have to ensure that that existing thing that's being used by the ecosystem continues to work even you know, you know um, when we introduce something new so it's uh, you know it's a, it's a difficult issue right one of the things that's driving a lot of this need for uh, consistency as well is is really the surge in i mean server side rendering almost doesn't seem like the right way to say it it's almost like there's a new class of building web apps uh, with with frameworks or libraries like Remix is a really popular one now, kind of in the React community, of trying to really blur the lines of where you are and yeah, running yeah. as much stuff as you can on the server, but also having similar code hydrating and running seamlessly on uh, in the browser as well. So, uh, you know, are, are you keeping an eye on these types of the developments of these things and where there are gaps? Like, are there communications with any of these uh, developers or libraries or platforms that are, that are kind of working to kind of negotiate negotiate out what APIs uh, come in sooner or not? Or like, how you know how does how does that all work out? Yeah, I think um, I mean th this is an important thing. You know, just uh, very intentionally blurring the lines of what where the compute happens. I mean, and this is a you know key thing with uh, you know what what interests me most about um, uh, edge environments like you know Cloudflare or or you know Fastly or whatever is that you know if we can just completely eliminate any consideration of where is this code actually running i don't care as long as it as long as i get the result that i want um then i, I think we it frees us up to build really in, you know much more interesting types of applications um but you know if i have to care that it's running in a browser Right, um, versus running on the server, then then that's a problem. It, it 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 messes up that that you know the move towards that that paradigm. We're definitely having conversations across projects. Like you know, I, I I'm talking regularly with the folks at Dino, and you know the folks at you know you know we're we're having like all these different conversations about how can we improve this story so that we can actually um, um, you know ensure that this code is portable, that the that things work consistently across platforms. And, and hopefully move away from the APIs that are 
platform specific and only work in one runtime and not in the others. You know, it's good to hear that level of collaboration going on, you know, because uh, if there's one thing positive that sort of came out of the great framework wars of, uh, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017 timeframe, it's that uh, the the core teams realized, or probably always knew, but really sort of took a public stance that said, we're all really doing the same thing here, solving some of the same problems uh, with different ideas on first principles or, or, or priorities or trade-offs. Uh, but, you know, they're really the collaboration across those teams became so good. And I think in general, the web development platform became all the better for it uh, because, you know, you started to see similar versions of features emerging in each of them, you know, React yeah. developed hooks, and then Vue had, uh, you know, their their composition API, and you know, all of a sudden you see an Angular version of that story. You just sort of see these good ideas beginning to propagate. I think that's better in general for the community because you just don't want to see that fracturing of of seeing these competing standards or competing APIs or competing approaches that then vie and then for some reason going forward, always have to be backwards compatible and maybe, yeah. you know, cross adoptable and these types of things. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, de definitely interesting. I mean, you know, competition is always fantastic and important and we have to have it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, it kind of, it's unfortunate that we're seeing less competition in browser implementations. Everything's kind of coalescing, you know, too much behind, you know, Chromium, which is, which is, you know, Chromium is great code, but it'd just be nice if there was more competition uh, uh, and investment in competing ideas. Um, it's great to have that. We have to have that competition, but at the same time, if we're all solving the same problem, all right. Um, if we're making it so that if someone wants to move their code from one platform to the other, they have to completely rewrite it just to keep it doing the exact same thing. <laughs> then we haven't, then we haven't solved any problems at all. We're, we're just, we're just adding new problems to the mix and that's not going to help anybody. I know it's a topic that continues to be discussed and it continues to evolve, but what is the state of play as far as collaboration here? You know, because the web and browsers obviously have a whole bunch of different organizations between the what WG and the uh, TC39 and, uh, not you know node with with its its amazing governance model as well and the different committees that you have there um and I'm, I'm not familiar with Dino's governance model but if there's something similar there like what are becoming the the modes of collaboration is that occurring inside of like uh the the working groups is that occurring inside of TC39 is it just informally on you know different uh use groups or things like that like what what is the mechanism and is does that still need to develop further uh, it definitely needs to develop further, um, but there there are really good conversations happening. One thing that we're actively launching right now um, um, is a new um, what we're calling Web Interoperable Runtimes Community Group. It's a it's a new community group under the W three C process um, that has you know uh, Dino Node contributors, you know uh, Cl uh, Cloudflare is there. Um, we're also getting you know Vercel and and Shopify and a few others. They're at you know kind of at that table, and, and the point of that community group is to represent the interests interests of all the non-browser JavaScript runtimes, so Node, and Dino, Workers, and all you know all the others, um, specifically to provide feedback to the, the what WG and um, the W3Cs, what they call you know the WICG, um, which which focuses on on the browser standards, right? 
the, the what WG and WICG, those are the venues right now that are really driving evolution of the APIs that you find in browsers. So say like a, um, event target or abort signal, abort control or fetch. All those APIs came out of those working groups. Um, those groups are specifically chartered to only care about the needs of web browsers. I mean, it's actually written in their charter in, in the definition of what they do. They only listen to web browser impl implementers. Uh, so this new community group, um, kind of what we're, you know, it's a, it's a long name, so we're calling it Winter CG for short. Um, what this new Winter CG is for is just say, okay, great. These APIs are, are, are fantastic, but here are some considerations from the server side. Here are considerations from the edge. And it gives us a place to coordinate and have conversations around these things so that we can make sure that the feedback coming from Node and Dino and uh, you know, edge environments is consistent, clear, well thought out, and presented to the um, these other working groups for consideration. So that's great. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Jumping back to one of the other features from from Node 18 was uh, the test runner that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, this was exciting to see, and, and some of the uh, the early previews and, and the stuff that I've seen for it actually looks really impressive. Um, I'm kind of curious, I guess, at first, you know, what is the motivation here, right? I mean, there are uh, very popular test runners that are that are used extensively for for front end code, web code, node code, all over the place. <laughs> um, what what drives the motivation um, to bring that into something that's more core and and node? Um, it, it, it's all about reducing friction for the developers. Um, right now, when you install Node. Uh, and that's all you have. But you know, when, when you're actually building uh, some solution, it's not all you need. Um, you know, you you need it. You need something to run tests. You need something that does linting. You need you know, you know, bundlers. You know, and, you know, there's all these tools that come along with it. Well, when you have people who are, you know, who are trying to build these things, they don't want to have to think about all those decisions, right? Um, uh, you know, what tool should I use? What's going to work with this version of Node? You know, um, um, something got a major update somewhere and, and some dependency down the chain broke somewhere. Uh, I've kind of lost count how many times we've actually made changes in Node that broke, you know, some some of these these other core tools. Um, and, you know, and it just it just makes things difficult. Um, and you look at the developer experience for Dino um, and, and instead, right? You know, and you have, you know, tests and all this kind of stuff just built in out of the box. You don't have to make those decisions. You don't have to think about it. It's just there and it just works. Um, it's obvious that that's what developers want, right? You know, based on, you know, the kind of the reception that, that, um, that, that that's had an ecosystem. It's like, okay, yep. It's obvious that that you know we need to do those things and reduce that friction. Um, and anything that we can do to start reducing that more, that's what Node really should focus on. I've asked this of other large projects as well, such as the Angular team. Um, there there have been calls in that community to take some very popular uh, third party resources and and basically absorb them into the framework itself. Uh, and and part of the reason that there's sort of like a pushback, I guess, from the from that team is just uh, it's a very successful solution. Um, yeah. There's a lot of engineering and consideration that's gone into it, a lot of development, and we don't necessarily think we have anything particular to add to that uh, to absorb it. You know, anything that you pull into Node, I assume, would incur some amount of maintenance costs, or people want more mm -hmm. advanced features. So it seems like you're sort of torn between whether to have a, just a sort of a basic API layer and say, if you want the advanced stuff, 
maybe go search search out those third party libraries or you know you're kind of stuck in that having to devote a certain percentage of resources to always augmenting and developing this thing uh you know how do you feel about that with a with something like this which maybe isn't part of the core apis but is a big part of developer experience Right. Um, there, there's always going to be a balance. There's always going to be a push and pull on this, this stuff. Um, you know, and, and we should never shy away from having those conversations. If somebody has an idea, let's add this to Node. Um, the very first uh, thing, uh, the very first comment back should be, okay, why? Um, what is this actually going to, to uh, provide? And, and sometimes those conversations get a bit contentious. You know, people, you know, uh, you know, it can go on for a while. People get a bit frustrated, but it's an important conversation to have. You know, th those are the conversations we absolutely should be having, right? Uh, and, and making those decisions very, very deliberately. I don't think that there is a single golden rule that we can follow that says, okay, this, th this, is, this is how we determine it should always land, or this is how we determine something should, should never land. I think it, it's always going to be case by case based on the arguments that can be made right then, right? Will Node ever incorporate a linter? I have no idea, right? ESLint does a fantastic job. You know, you know it, it, it's out there. It just works. Will we ever have a node lint? I have no idea. I don't, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a conversation we can have though. And I'm, I, and I'd love to have that conversation at some point. Um, how, how does experiment, experimental features and experiments in general work in the context of, of node? You know, how, how do you all see those types of features? How, how playful are they? How, you know, how expendable are they? Or do we, should we understand these things that are announced in a feature like this, even if experimental to be pretty firmly in, but maybe just not completely finalized? Like what does experimental mean, mean to know? Um, to, to understand that of it, it's really to understand, you really need to understand that node has no roadmap. Um, node has no product management. Um, there's, there's no, there's nobody, I mean, even the, the technical steering committee, there's nobody that looks at it and says, okay, in this next release, we're going to have XYZ set of features and then people work towards those. Everything that happens in Node, this is going back to, ever since, you know, um, we, we brought, um, um, I adjusted Node back together in 2013. So from that point forward, everything that has happened has been because just an individual thought it was important to do. And so they just did it. Um, Everything, all of the new features, um, which is very unique with a with a open open source project of this scale. Um, so you know, right now, you know, saying okay, what's going to land in Node nineteen? Haven't got a clue. What's going to land in the next Node eighteen release? Haven't got a clue because it's just whatever gets done and gets in there, and that includes the experimental features. When we mark something experimental in Node, all we're saying is that this thing's not done. Um, we expect there to be um, changes to it. And one of those changes could be that it just gets pulled right back out as a, you know, as a future point. Now, I don't think that's, I don't think we've ever actually removed anything that was experimental. We've replaced it with a different implementation, uh, you know, before, but I don't think we've ever completely pulled something back out and said, no, we're not going to ship it. Um, because the philosophy with Node is if somebody if somebody cares enough to keep moving something forward in the project, right? And there are just and and there there aren't objections to it being there, right? That that, that can't be overcome. Then it's going to then that's what's going to happen. It's going to move forward. 
right? Now it might stay experimental for a super long time, right? Like um, async hooks are still experimental. Trace events are still experimental and have been for like the past four or five years. So there's things that, you know, that might be perpetually experimental and never, never happen. But as long as there's somebody willing to work on it, then it's probably going to stay. Honestly, my mind has been blown since the moment you said there weren't uh, product managers uh, on the team, because it just seems like there has to be, uh, you know, for anybody that isn't sort of familiar with this model, about every six months, like clockwork, Node has another version. And so you have kind of the odd uh, numbered versions and then the even numbered versions, which go to the long-term support chain. Uh, and so that is happening every six months and and to somehow still be able to hit those milestones with features and still have the whole thing be coherent as a platform. You know what I mean? Not that all these people are pulling it in a million different directions has to be one of the most amazing things I've heard recently. I'm actually in my head still trying to figure out how this works out. Like what is the yeah. secret sauce? Does anybody know? Or is this, was this just a magical happy accident? Um, it, it, it was a hell of a lot of work. Um, uh, you know, really, um, we, so we have a number of, of, of working groups, um, and the release working group are the ones that, that shepherd kind of those releases out the door. And, and it's not just the major releases. Um, and it's all the minor and the patch releases that come out, you know, uh, on, on, on a regular cadence. Um, they do an absolutely phenomenal job of kind of shepherding this. Um, uh, Beth Griggs, who's, who's uh, you know, also on the technical steering committee. Uh, she has done, I, I've lost count. It's like a, the past 11 or so major releases or something like that. It's, it's, I, I can't remember the exact number, but um, uh, she's done more major releases than anybody else in the, in the project history. Um, uh, and every six months, she's just right on top of like, okay, we're going to get this major release out the door. Here's everything we got to do and, and just make sure that it gets done. Um, and, and it goes back to what, you know, I was saying it's whatever happens in node is just individuals deciding this is important to do. I'm going to do it. Right. And everything that's happened in node, you know, for, for years, it's just been that individuals, you know, you know, fairly remarkable individuals just saying, I'm going to get this done. This is important. So let's do it. Uh, and, and pushing that forward. So, I mean, folks don't always agree with all the decisions, right? Um, um, but just the fact that it's able to keep moving and like I said, stay coherent is very remarkable. I, I, it really is. Like you said, of, of the major open source projects that you think about, there's either major organizations or companies behind it or or a singular or a small group of people that sort of shepherd it themselves. It's, right. it's their sort of brain trust. So to have something that is that decentralized in, in that way, I mean, I guess it's centralized in the sense that there's these groups, but the fact that there is no grand poobah of, of Node.js is, is actually quite amazing. Yeah, the technical steering committee right now is like 20, 20 people, 22 people, um, which is, you know, if you look to you know, other, other projects, I mean, still, that's massive. Um, and the role it primarily serves is the backstop for disagreements. It's the, all of the day-to-day -day decision making is just the collaborator base, opening PRs, opening issues, talking it out, working it through, right? And 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 just making things happen. The 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 TSC is basically okay. Well, we couldn't get a decision here. People couldn't agree, so let's you know let, let's kind of uh, 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 you know discuss it and see what the final decision is going to be.
That's that's the role that of the TSC plays. So it really does invert that typical model, like you said, where there's this small little brain trust of, of folks that kind of set the direction and say, okay, this year we're going to do X, Y, and Z. That doesn't happen in Node, right? We do have you know some initiatives like we have what you know, this initiative called the next ten, which is kind of look, you know next ten years of, of looking at higher level things of, of what the project could be doing next. But that's really just kind of setting some high level goals. It's not actually deciding what will or will not happen in the project. That still goes day to day to what the individual contributors want to do. And it, you know, another thing that's sort of interesting as far as this community management piece as well is I've I've read through some of these threads, including ones that involve with some of the experiments that you've uh, been a part of, you know, code that you've offered up. And some of the conversations can be quite direct and the disagreements can be quite direct and quite uh, forceful, um, people really standing up for their position. So yeah. it, it, I think on some level, it must speak to uh, the quality of the community that's been built and the, the strength of the code of conduct that, yeah. that those conversations can happen and be so frank without devolving into yeah. uh, attacks or or you know that sort of tribalism and, and that kind of that piece yeah um you know setting up again that was just that was just a hell of a lot of work there um early on you know right you know when i say early on i mean um in terms of the foundation you know so 2015 2016 um it wasn't always that friendly you know we had a lot of community drama there was a lot of stuff that was going on um really we were able to get past a lot of that when we um, established the the moderation team that we have now and the moderation policies that we have now um and you know there, there was work you know we had the community um, um uh, the, it was the community team you know it was kind of non-technical focus more focused on kind of community building and, and, and that kind of thing but that moderation team has done a fantastic job of just systematizing enforcement of the of kind of those culture right and 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 really taking the you know personal grudge out of it right it's just nope this is just the way it is um either you you know agree to the the code of conduct or you're just not part of the conversation and it's it, it has really come a long way it's it's worked phenomenally and i and i cannot credit the 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 moderation team enough it's just been absolutely phenomenal the work that they've been doing well, I hope someday does an investigation and some interviews or writes a dissertation on, on how exactly this community came to be, because I think people need to <laughs> to study this a little bit more deep. I think this is uh, you know, a great story of, of, of the hard work that it's taken to get to this point. So, yeah, it'd be phenomenal. Um, you know, jumping back to sort of the releases process, which we talked about. So one of the we've been talking about how amazing it is that this that this uh, team is able to keep churning out um, interesting features uh, mm -hmm. every six months uh, and the the, 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 the long-term support ones every year. Uh, but one of the things that's sort of on the other side of that is that the team has stuck to its sort of schedule for shepherding past versions through a maintenance mode, LTS mode, and then ultimately to drop support. So I think uh, uh, V12 support is just ending now, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, how... How do you feel things are going in the Node ecosystem as far as making sure that the community is moving along with you? I think, you know, if, if developers, if you've worked across multiple projects, you've come across those ones where it's people don't even know what the question is. They're like, I don't know. I just I just have Node. <laughs> and they always have the latest version. There's other ones like, oh, no, you have to have version yeah. 10 or version 12 or version 14. You know, uh, 
how do you feel like that story is going and are there thoughts or conversations around how to make sure the community is able to keep moving forward? Um, so the, the, the current LTS schedule that we have this, you know, released the twice a year and, and thing that actually, that, that, that came, I'm, I'm actually the one that, that drafted that schedule the very, the, the very first time. And, it, and, you know, where I came up with that schedule, we were out there talking specifically with a lot of companies that were adopting node um, and saying, okay, when do you actually do your, you know, start looking at, at doing your migrations for your, your major products? How much time do you need to actually, um, um, you know, migrate from one to the one to the other? How much of an overlap of support do you need to, to, to make that as, as easy to transition as possible? What we found, um, it's like the reason we do LTS releases in October, um, is that most of these companies would not start looking at doing a migration until the end of the year. They wouldn't start actually doing the migration until the beginning of the, ne of the next year. So that six months, right, um, between you know, October and April, that provide you know that that's where we do that overlap between the versions specifically to account for that that type of schedule um i think that that schedule for the corporate adopters of node works fantastic and we haven't had any issues and in, in, in all the feedback that we've had is that migration from one version to the next is a lot easier it just works you know that we haven't had any any issues i think though that it misses other adopters for node like um one thing that node has not done well is the backwards support and and, and handling deprecations and you know um and, and just kind of ensuring that the breaking changes you know aren't, aren't as painful um so i think I, th I think there's always improvements that could be made right to that um i've proposed a couple of times well hey maybe we should stop and rethink how we do this uh, maybe have um, a, a different, you know, train schedule for getting these things out. Um, but it always has come back to at this point, changing the schedule is probably more disruptive than it's worth. Um, so it, it's, you know, yes, it's got its issues. Yes, it's got its warts, but let's keep things the way they are right now, because that seems to work reasonably well. That's interesting to hear about. And I mean, it's certainly, it's not like the web community doesn't, in, you know, the browser community hasn't encountered the same problem. <laughs> I mean, anybody that was around for Squishgate or oh, yeah. <laughs> the MooTools conversation knows that this idea and this uh, tension between backwards compatibility and wanting to keep uh, the platform evolving and having a concise or maybe a, an easy to understand API surface that's a basically an unsolvable problem that is can only be done through negotiation and hard fought uh lessons oh yeah yeah and you know and i mean just the the, the truth of it is that node had quite a has had quite a bit of technical debt um uh there there, there are have been things that just needed to be fixed or you know api decisions that were somewhat unfortunate and we've had to change things deprecating things and and having to make breaking changes is just the reality um, um of of this type of code um you know we we could have probably managed it better making our, you know other decisions early on but you know the decisions are what they were right um we can't we can't change those and we deal with what we have right now we got a couple of questions from the generalized community when we knew we were doing this that they wanted us to ask and you know of course the first one i'm sure is one that you've 
probably get a lot. And you know, it's this conversation about ESM and CommonJS, CJS in in the community. I think what's interesting here, you know, for anybody that isn't familiar, these are kind of the the two mechanisms for. I guess, leveraging other code or incorporating new code. And so you might have seen it in different contexts as being like the, the require syntax or the um, you know, import-export syntax, depending on which model that you're using. Now, for a lot of people, I guess, you know, often they don't encounter that other than they read in the tutorial or they just have a thing that they use in the, a pattern in their, their system right. or their, their project, and that's just what they stick to. Uh, but for others, this is a huge thorn. Um, mm -hmm. For library developers, I think, or library maintainers, they sometimes are not sure what to ship and, and how best to ship it. Uh, and people that are working in this ecosystem that are using a, a mix of tools have had some issues with migrations and, and incorporating those. It, I feel like I've seen different advice, even from people that are pretty core um, in the Node mm -hmm. community, between whether to go all ESM, all CJS, or a mix, or whatever it is. Is there an official position on this right now? Or you know, what do people need to know as we continue to navigate this as a community? Um, there is no official position on this. Um, and to kind of back it up just a little bit for, you know, for folks that are just being getting familiar with this, between CommonJS and ESM, um, they are two systems that do the same thing in completely incompatible ways, right? Um, CommonJS was the one that existed already. Um, you know, when TC39 did the work on ESM, it was standardized without any implementations being done, right? Uh, there was there was zero implementations, even in the browsers, uh, when you know, by the time they put the stamp on it. And only only minor changes that have been made to it since. Um, so they're, they're very, very different worlds um, even though they do the same thing and developers looking at this coming into this and saying well they do the same thing why do they what's so hard about making them work together right um understanding how different they are is critical um i i, I did a blog post thing back in 2016 where i started to introduce what what some of these differences are and even then i was acknowledging this is going to be a traumatic <laughs> migration right um like, you know, on the level of a Python 2, Python 3 type, um, 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 you know, traumatic sort of thing. It, it's, they're very different ways of writing the code. And a lot of effort has gone into trying to make them work together, right? And there are ways where you can, you can publish a module that does both, right? You know, you know there's a couple of exa good examples of their modules that export themselves as both CommonJS and ESM and depending on how you use them. But what we're seeing more and more as we get more and more experience out here is that mixing them is going to be a hell of a lot of pain. Um, you're just inviting pain in. in. So when it comes to doing anything at any, any kind of scale, non-experimental, whatever, you either most likely want to stay all CommonJS or stay all ESM. Right, and, and if you, if you do need stuff to work across multiple environments, right, sticking to the standard, ESM is probably where you want to go, and then just go all in on that. Um, which one is best? Um, I have my problems with both. Um, um, I think that's a decision best left up to each individual that's that's uh, that's playing around with it. So. I, I was laughing a little bit to myself there uh, when I when hearing you talk about you know people exclaiming well, 
why can't, you know, why are they different? Why are they, why is it so difficult to use them together? And my mind always goes back to, there's always an XKCD about everything, but this idea of there are so many standards. Why don't, why doesn't somebody just make the one standard that unifies them all? And then yep. the result, now there's N plus one standards. And <laughs> because I remember like, wasn't this what the universal UMD kind of tried, at least partially tried to solve was this idea that there were so many competing module definition solutions. Mm -hmm. And so they said, okay, we'll just do one that puts them all together as yep. kind of one uh, exported thing. And then that just became another standard on, and, and, on the list. And that's really why, like, like that's really one of the things that made this more complicated is that, you know, we had CommonJS, great. We had the, the, the standard definition of ESM and then the ecosystem it goes back to the earlier conversation we we're having about, you know, the ecosystem just going off and writing code. You're like, okay, great. We're going to make something that looks like ESM, but acts like CommonJS. So that, you know, all the CommonJS stuff can just be brought in and magically works. Except that that created a third option, <laughs> right? And so now Node, deciding like, okay, what are we going to do? It's not just deciding between CommonJS and ESM. It's CommonJS, ESM, and this hybrid thing that the ecosystem um, kind of did. And it wasn't just one implementation in the ecosystem. It was like several different implementations that were all this, this kind of weird hybrid. Um, so is which of those is Node going to break, right? Or are they do they have to support all three? And, and the project gets a ton of criticism right now from folks like, well, you should have just done this. We'll say, well, you're not the only person here in this conversation, right? There's lots of voices that Node has to listen to. And yes, granted, I hear you have that opinion of, of what we just should have done, but we're also listening to thousands of other people that tell, are telling us what we just should have done. And guess what? You all don't agree. <laughs> so it's going to be hard. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's this is all happening you know, this is like a relativity issue. <laughs> a lot of the people that are having that perspective are people probably also like me. I mean, I sort of pivoted back to web development around 2015. So all of the origins of Node and, and you know, the reunification are so core to me relearning a lot of web approaches and JavaScript approaches in general. So all of that CGS approach and the callback approach of everything, that that felt like Node to me. Yeah. But we have new developers joining the ranks every single day uh, who weren't exposed to that. And yeah. all of the paradigms that they see are more in the ESM model or more in the promise-based model. Yeah. And there, you know, there is always going to be that tension. Even if Node never changed, now there's just going to be mounting tension on the newer edge of things with people that are like, why do I need to learn an entirely proprietary system when everything else I'm doing sort of is following this newer model. So, you know, sometimes people kind of have to think about, like you said, they're not the only ones in the conversation. Um, it's, it's all part of this synchronization piece that has to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and decisions have to be made and, and we, we just, we understand that people aren't going to be happy with every decision. Um, but it's, you know, um, we're, we're still trying to move things forward despite that. Is it clear at this point that ESM is kind of the standard going forward? Or do you think that the, the last page of this book isn't yet written? And I, I don't think the, I, I don't think it's written. Um, it, it, at this point, um, you know, TC39 is, is saying, you know, pretty firmly, okay, this you know, ESM is what, what we have and what we're going with. But I mean, we're, we're talking about an industry that likes to reinvent everything every 10 years, right? Um, you know, so we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so
so exactly yeah if we knew we would yeah be yeah. uh oh, i'd be rich if of, i knew yeah <laughs> a lot of lucrative bets out there yeah um Another topic that we got about was about streams. Now, th there wasn't a particular question associated with this, but actually it was a question that you posed to the community, which was to say uh, you were going to give an advanced node training and you asked the community, what should you include in the advanced node training? And I think you got about 60 answers of streams. streams yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, I guess at first, you know, why is this a difficult concept? Uh, that's not to demean people that think it's difficult. This is to help people understand that maybe haven't used them yet on Node. You know, yeah. What kind of is this problem? Why is this so difficult? And and kind of what should people know about it, I guess? So the, the concept of processing data um, in a purely asynchronous event-driven way um, is 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 not one it's, it's not something that you typically learn in your typical university you know course i mean there, i i've never found a program that, that that covers this adequately it does require you to kind of bend how you think how you think about the data all right you know most people they say okay i need to process this data they're thinking about it as a single coherent chunk of something that they have to analyze with streams you are changing that in, in, in your you're changing that mode where it's like nope you're, you're just going to do one small chunk of thing at a time spread out over time and and uh interspersing that with you know like you know there you might be um you're processing multiple streams of data simultaneously at the, the same at the same moment getting your head around the the how that data flows how your the processing flows through that can be very difficult. Um, just asynchronous development, uh, event-driven asynchronous development in general is a hard topic. And then you start mixing in streams on top of that um, with a weird API, right? Um, like Node's streams API is, is, is weird. Um, it, it's super efficient, but it's weird. Um, understanding that there are actually three different versions of the Node stream API um uh, there's three different ways that it works um and then you add into that the fourth way of doing streams which is the standard you know readable stream writable stream um, spec which does the exact same thing in a completely different way all right it just makes it a very complex difficult subject to get your head around now what we found doing um, node trainings over the past number of years is that once you sit down and explain it and show it it's like a light bulb that goes off instantly and people are like, okay, I get it now. And they're able to take off and run with it. But getting past that initial hump, it's, it's very, it's, it's not a very approachable topic. Um, if you're coming at it, um, on your own. For people that are listening to this podcast, they may be familiar with the library RxJS or reactive extensions, mm -hmm. which is, uh, an, a sort of reactive programming or event-based, uh, model for, well, I mean, you can use it anywhere honestly, but, uh, but it's used a lot in Angular development and, and elsewhere as well. Um, and it introduces the primitive of the observable. Now, I know that this is also in consideration for inclusion just to JavaScript as its, as its base and TC39, although it's, uh, it's, it's morphing and it's in early stages still, so there's a lot of space left to go. How is this different, if at all, from the concept of streams in Node? And has there been any consideration of, of synchronizing or, or adopting that primitive? Um, that, that remains to be seen. Observable has been one of those that TC39 has been considering for many years, right? It, it's, you know, whether, you know, there's been this kind of start, stop, or, 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 you know, will they or won't they? 
uh, on it. Um, and for a lot of those kind of conversations with within Node, we kind of like, you know, if it happens, then we'll worry about it. Right. Um, so uh, as far as I know, not a lot of Node core contributors have really engaged in that conversation. Um, you know, it will be interesting to see if that does move forward. Um, uh, the the one thing, though, with introducing those new primitives, like what we see with promises, when, when TC39 threw promises into the mix, what we see is there is still a complete lack of understanding of what that primitive actually is in in, in the ecosystem. Um, you know, when I was doing a lot of you know a lot of consulting work uh, when I was over at, at Nearform uh, for a number of years. Um, I had this rule of if, you know, if, if we had any customer coming to us and saying, Hey, our node app is slow. Can you tell us why? The very first question we would ask is, are you using promises? Uh, and if they said yes, then our, the very first thing we would say is you're using them wrong. We wouldn't look at the code yet, right? It was, you're using the promises, you're using them wrong because in almost every single case, the performance issues that, that were there were being caused by them abusing the promise syntax and not using it for what it was actually meant to be used for, which is namely scheduling and waiting for asynchronous uh, things to happen. So we have people like, you know, like in one case, you know, they were creating 30,000 promises in a 30 second, you know, uh, 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 benchmark and one code path on their server. Um, uh, and wait, and, and, you know, all of those were, 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 were doing synchronous work. So it was just blocking the event loop. And in one case, in one extreme case, you know, they were blocking the event loop by a full minute. All right. So node couldn't do anything else for a full minute. Um, you know, so it, it's, it was, it was just, it just goes back to not knowing how to use the primitive. Right. And not knowing what it was for. I had one guy actually, you know, um, try to argue that creating new promise in JavaScript was just like creating a new thread in Java. It was like, no, no, we got to step way back and, and explain how this works. So, you know, introducing a new primitive to the language, if it's just thrown out there without putting that effort into getting people to really understand what it's for, why it's there, how it works, right, what it truly is useful for, is really not going to do anybody any good. Right. You know, you, you know, there has to be an investment into this is what this is. This this is why this is here. This is exactly how you use it. Right. And and really focus and, drive, and work on driving that home. I, I totally agree. I, I think, you know, I, I used to be a C sharp developer, uh, or at least that was my primary trade. And I know when I came to JavaScript and saw TypeScript and I was like, oh, look at all these keywords I, that I'm familiar with. Uh, yep. And, you know, you really can get burned by assuming that a class is a class and, right. you know, these types of things are equivalent. So I think you're exactly right. I mean, you do have to be careful uh, because especially, I don't know why it's, I guess it's not uniquely this way in JavaScript, but it really does feel like some of these, uh, when you come into them with the wrong perspective in JavaScript, they really don't work the way you expect them to. Oh. <laughs> it's a, a unique platform for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and it just, um, uh, like I said, I mean, there, there just has to be a focus on really understanding what those primitives are, um, or you're just going to get, you're going to paint yourself into a corner really, really quick. And I think you know, going back to the question on streams and stuff, you know, yeah, it, it's an important primitive, but you have to take the time to understand how it works and what's actually happening. And, and, uh, you know, and kind of, um, digging into that code rather than just trying to rely on the magic. Cause if you just rely on the magic, you're going to, 
you're going to get burned. Yeah, I mean, one of the ways that I, I I do this with developers when they're they're newer is is this idea of helping them to understand when they might need it, and then right. telling them when the time comes, <laughs> like that's the bat signal. You'll you'll know this is the time to go learn streams because you've encountered the use case. Like, is right. is that the right way forward for a lot of people that are maybe struggling with this? Is like, you know, go get introduced to it, go read some stuff, kind of get it in your head, so that that way when a problem shows up, that's right for it you know, maybe that will be the fertile ground for you to come back and, and learn it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, uh, you know, learn enough to know, the, the way I put it before, learn enough to know that you don't need it until you do, right? Well, great. Uh, unfortunately, we have arrived at the end of our conversation already, so we will wrap it up here. But I wanted to give you a second to uh, call out to people that maybe were inspired by this and you know are interested to hear the story of of really a community driven effort at, at Node, and are maybe interested to just you know find out a little bit more about how things work and whether it's a way that there are places for them to contribute. Like, how should people, uh, where should people go? How should people you know start to get involved or, or at least just monitor what's going on? Right. Yeah. So there's um, with Node. I mean, just go to the Node repo. It's you know uh, the you know GitHub slash node.js slash node um um it, it, it there, there's many ways to get involved in node it's a the one thing is it's a massive project there's a lot of activity it can get it can become lost very very easily uh, uh there um what i typically recommend is that folks start looking at the documentation look for a typo right look for you know an exam you know some api that's missing an example right and then just do something super, super small, open a pull request, uh, and at least you know introduce yourself to to, to the folks there and, and make it known that you that you that you want to contribute. Um, you will find folks that, that that will that are willing to help you jump right in and 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 find the next thing. And once you get through that, it's like okay, what can I do next? And it's just starting a conversation. Uh, if you go through and try to find the biggest change you can make. Uh, you're going to you're you're going to get in the weeds very very quickly. Um, uh, and if you're looking for something kind of a, a good place to 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 start, reach out to any of the tech, the TSC members. Um, you know, folks are super friendly. Um, uh, you know, super willing to 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 help and kind of help point in the right direction. And and I'll just say, you know, folks are, you should feel feel free to to reach out to me at any 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 time. Um, if if you're looking for a good first contribution, I'll, and I'll shoot a few ideas your way. That's great. Yes, we are big proponents as well. That documentation is a great way to to, oh, yeah. to dip your toe into the pool of any new project. It's always appreciated, and it is uh, definitely something that's usually within your means to do. So uh, definitely recommend that to everybody. Well, great. That is it for us today. Thank you so much for listening to this modern web podcast on Node and Node development and the whole Node ecosystem. Thank you, of course, to our guest, James. As always, we like to say that the conversation does not stop here. You can find James on Twitter at J-A-Snell. So that's J-A-S-N-E-L-L. -L. And you can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. As always, thanks as well to our sponsor, Harmon. We hope to see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Come on. Come on, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by This.Labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs.
for all of your friends and you.